Hello and welcome to Love Thy Lawyer, where we talk to real lawyers about their lives in and out of the practice of law, how they got to be lawyers, and what their experience has been. I'm Lewis Goodman, the host of the show, and yes, I'm a lawyer. Nobody's perfect. Today, we welcome Kim Kupfer to the podcast. I've known Kim for over 20 years, mainly in her capacity as an Alameda County public defender. Kim had a reputation for being completely prepared, ready to do battle, and battle she did. But always fairly, ethically, and with the utmost respect for the court and opposing counsel. Few attorneys commanded that level of admiration. Kim now runs Imagine Equus Farms, where both horses and people experience healing opportunities in the Blue Ridge Mountains. Kim Kupfer, welcome to Love Thy Lawyer. Thanks, Lewis. It's great to be here. Well, it's nice talking to you again. We haven't spoken in a while ever since you left the Alameda County Public Defender's Office. How long has that been now? Well, you know, I actually was with the Public Defender's Office for 15 years and left in 2003 and then went into private practice. So I was in private practice until January of last year. Wow. Okay. So uh, I guess a lot of the time that I knew you, you were in private practice as well. Yeah, I left the PD's office and started private practice and initially was just kind of hustling all over into the various counties, Alameda and other surrounding counties. And then towards the end of my career, I ended up doing a lot of court-appointed work on the death penalty cases and then juvenile cases where the kids were facing life without. So you really handled the heaviest sort of criminal cases that the criminal justice system can throw at somebody. Yeah, <laughs> it, was, it was kind of cool because when I went into private, well, when I was a public defender, I was on the homicide team for about seven years. So I got a lot of experience during the kind of more heavy duty cases. <clears throat> and then when I went into private practice and doing those cases can kind of make it difficult to run your practice when you're a solo practitioner. But ultimately I started doing I took a death penalty case out of Contra Costa County. We started taking cases in Alameda County. And yeah, pretty much in 2011, I moved to North Carolina. And so I was primarily doing death penalty and juvenile LWAP cases during the time I lived here, but I would fly back and forth to California every month. So where are you speaking to us from right now? So I'm speaking to you from Western North Carolina on my 28-acre horse farms here in the foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains called the Tryon area, which is a big horse area. We're going to get back to it, but very briefly, can you tell us what your farm is about and the name of it? Yeah, so my farm is called Imagine Equish Farm, and it started off just being about having a horse and wanting to have horse faith and my ex-partner was from this area and so I had seen this firm and ultimately bought it and a lot sooner than I wanted to stop practicing and so I kind of had the best of both worlds where I would come here and be with all the animals and then every month fly to, to California to handle my cases and I kept a place there where I would stay. What was that like flying back and forth and being at 
one moment in this incredibly idyllic area in the mountains of North Carolina and then being in the criminal courts in the Bay Area dealing with death penalty cases. Yeah, so it was kind of this great balance for me. And I think that that is ultimately kind of what led me to creating Imagine Youth Witch, which is my whatever in there, which is doing well-being retreats for people. So I started in 2016 training to do equine facilitated experiential learning. The mouthful there. <laughs> but what it is, is it's not riding the horses and it's not therapy. What we do here is all groundwork. But it's all about connection and maybe the better word is a reconnection with oneself. You know how we get so kind of work so hard to become a lawyer and to, you know, you have this practice where you're going 24 7 and you get really good at it. But then you reach this place in your life where you're like, wait, what happened to me? Like, where's, I don't, I don't have any time left for myself anytime, you know, and it's like, what happened to my joy? Like, what is, what are the things in my life besides practicing law that I want to do for me? And I think we kind of lose the space for that. One of the really wonderful things for me is getting that space. And the more I got of it and the more connected I became with the horses, the more interested I became in bringing people here and letting people have that same experience. Where are you from originally? Southern California. Whereabouts in Southern California? I grew up in a place called Upland, which is up the 10 freeway. It used to be about a 45-minute drive to L.A. before traffic. <laughs> oh, it's like I thought maybe it gotten like further away or something. Uh, yeah, my wife's from L.A. She always talks about how quickly you used to be able to get places. So is that where you went to high school? Did you go to high school in Uplands? Yes, yeah, so I went to Upland High School, played basketball. And did really well at that and got a full ride to go to Stanford. The Upland team had had a history of having these great girls basketball teams and always going to the state playoffs and always winning our league. So I was really lucky to be on that team and then was recruited across the country and really kind of wanted to stay in California. Stanford was kind of perfect in all ways. It was a very challenging academic school. They had this great team that they had just put a lot of money into the program, and it was far enough away from home. I have a few friends who have played Division One sports, both men and women. It's my notion that going to college and playing a Division One sport is a very different college experience than most people have. It's not necessarily better. It's not necessarily worse. It's just different, and I'm wondering what your comment about that is. I totally agree. I think it is a difference, and it was really great for me. I mean, I absolutely loved Stanford, and I absolutely loved playing basketball there. And you're also competing. It was everything was graded on a curve, so you're competing against students that are that's all they're doing is studying. <laughs> and a really big portion of your life when you're a Division One athlete is every day you know, practice and training room and um, lifting weights and clean meals and meetings and watching film and, yeah, so you, so it just kind of ups that competition and that level of focus that you have to have both on the court and then academically. It was a good match for me. Yeah. Speaking of academics, what did you take up academically at Stanford? So I, <laughs> I was an econ major 
which I didn't use really until I went into practice, I would say. But really, it was important at Stanford, I think, just to get a well-rounded background. So I took a lot of classes, and I knew I was kind of drawn to law anyways. And they would offer classes through the law school that undergrads could take. And so anytime they did, I always took one of those classes. And you know, it took a lot of psychology classes and writing classes and all things that I felt like really benefited me throughout my criminal law career. When did you first know that you wanted to be a lawyer? Like when I was really young, I used to always kind of argue for, I, I had a real sense of hate and wrong. And I would, if I felt like someone or something was being taken advantage of and not treated fairly, I would argue that side. And so really early on, people were like, you should be a lawyer. And then my aunt was a court reporter in Los Angeles and worked in a really busy courtroom there. And so sometimes I would go visit her and she would take me into the courtroom and I'd get to sit with a judge or sit at counsel table. And yeah, I really liked it. At some point, you, in fact, did go to law school. Did you go straight through after college or did you take some time off between college and law school? Well, so I ended up uh, blowing out my me, my junior year of college. So I had surgery, healed from that, and then I ended up losing most of the year. So I went and played in an all-star team in Europe for that summer. And I applied to Santa Clara and a couple other law schools. And when I got into Santa Clara, it was a good fit for me because it allowed me to continue to coach basketball there while I was going to law school. So it was it a pretty seamless transition no <laughs> well in what way was it not at that time, well at that time there was no professional league for women and really what i wanted to do was play pro <laughs> and i knew i wanted to go to law school so coaching was the best option for me but the hardest part of it was just you know game night i i love the coaching aspect of it and teaching but then game night of course you want to be the one out there <laughs> so that was that was the hard transition to make is you're at the height of your game and then 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 at that time at least they said, Okay, you're done. There's there's no other options for you. Ultimately I made the transition to another court, the courtroom, but but it was it was difficult to not to not be able to to move on to a different league and continue. When you graduated from Santa Clara, you ultimately ended up at the Alameda County public defender's office and then in private practice. I'm just wondering if you could just kind of walk us through that process a little bit. I decided I was going to be a women's rights and a civil rights lawyer. And so my first year of law school, after that summer, I worked at the Equal Rights Advocates in San Francisco. And they did amazing work, but I found that I was really bored just sitting in the office all the time. And the next summer, I went to interview for a job as a working in a labor law firm. And the guy who interviewed me was a complete jerk. I stood up to him. He offered me the job and I turned it down, <laughs> walked across the street to the federal public defender's office who was offering a position for $5 an hour. The other job was 20 and met with the woman who was the head of the office. She was amazing. It was a small office. They offered me the job and I took it. So that started my career in criminal defense work. I completely fell in love with it. The next year, I became a certified law clerk, and I started working in, in Santa Clara County in the public defender's office. 
And like I could go to court and argue felony 1538.5 motions and call witnesses. And it, it was amazing. Then I um, took the bar. I applied at two places. I applied at Santa Clara where I had worked and I applied at Alameda. And I had heard Alameda had a great public defender's office. Um, and I also really wanted to live up in Oakland. So I ultimately ended up accepting the job in Alameda County and started off as a public defender in 1988, or March of 88. You said you were there for yeah. about 15 years, and then you went into private practice. I assume that you tried every kind of case imaginable as a public defender, some very serious felony cases in addition to misdemeanor cases when you're first starting out. What prompted you to leave the public defender's office and go into private practice? Well, I loved doing trial work, and I did well at it. So I got to be the murder team, and one of the things that was really nice about that in the public defender's office was that you had your own caseload. You could really work cases, develop a relationship with your clients. And so I ended up doing that for over seven years. I felt really strongly about being rural and representing people who are facing the death penalty. And so that's, that's kind of what got me into the whole homicide team and, and that part of things. When I left the homicide team after seven years, I became a supervisor in juvenile you do this rotation in the public defender's office. For the next thing you know, I'm like doing jail interviews, doing misdemeanor court, or and it just wasn't all that fulfilling for me. I knew that I wanted to see do the more serious work and more trial work. That's that was kind of what I was more passionate about. I also like for me, it was important when you handle a case that not just put a bandaid on it, but my whole philosophy was like. Let's figure out what the underlying problem is. Like, why is this person here in the first place? You know, you get a guy that has a good job and he ends up getting multiple DUIs. There's, the guy's got something going on. He's got a problem, either a drinking problem or mental health or something. And so, like, that's kind of what I became known for is looking at the bigger picture of things and figuring out what it is we need to deal with so this doesn't just keep happening over and over. And I felt like I reached a point in the public defender's office where, I mean, at one point I remember the chief assistant saying to me, Rick Kim, you want to do excellent work and all we're required to do is be competent. And I'm like, well, you mean like a B? Like, I like to do A work. You're saying D? <laughs> and he's like, yeah. And I, at that point, I told, wow, I don't, I don't, in my mind, I was like, I don't know that this is the place for me anymore. Even though I had thought this is a place I would spend my career. My sense of you, as I said in the introduction, and I, you know, I wasn't kidding, is that whenever I saw you in court, you just seemed incredibly prepared, interested in the case and the facts and the law in your client in a way that really, I don't know, very, very few attorneys really put out that vibe. And I always got that vibe from you when I would see you in court. Yeah, so thanks for this. I mean, that was definitely. That was definitely what I was about was, yeah, that like, if I'm going to do something, I want to do it fully, you know, and I'm committed. And so, you know, I would work with them a lot and really get to know their history and the case and why things happened the way they did, what went through. And like, if you don't 
fully understand the person and why it happened, how can you represent them well? And I, I think that's part of why those sort of, I was gravitated to those sort of cases because you could feel one, like you made a difference for person. Like even if I lose this case, which a lot of, you know, you, you have the facts sometimes <laughs> that are not on your side. But if this guy is going to go me for a really long time, at least he's going to wait, go away knowing that somebody cared and somebody was in there fighting for them. If a young person was coming out of school, would you recommend the law as a career choice? I think what I would say now, knowing what I know, is that it's really important to have that balance in your life because it can become all-consuming. And, you know, there's the ABA has come out with all this these stats on attorney well-being and basically found out there's not a lot of well-being with attorneys. There's a lot of burnout and alcoholism and mental health issues. And, and so I think having balance in the work you do is important. I remember thinking at one point, well, wouldn't it be great to just be able to like, like go in and work really hard and kick ass for like six months and then have six months that you can relax and recover <laughs> prepare again for it before you go back into battle. What advice would you give to a young attorney who is just starting out in his or her practice? Like whatever you do, do what you feel passionate about. Trying to find that thing that drives you, that you every day can feel like, yes, this is what I want to be doing. I, I don't know, like my work, I always felt like I was helping people and so that allowed me to be, you know, driven to do it well. Do you think the legal system's fair? It can be. I think that I think that there were a lot of politics that got involved with a lot of the sentencing, and now we're seeing a lot of that turning back. Now, at some point, you transitioned out of law. You opened up the horse farm. I'm wondering what prompted that. And I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what sort of work you do at the horse farm, how that helps lawyers who go there, people in general, how it helps the horses, because it seems to me that it's to do both. It's pretty cool. You know what? So I moved here in 2011 and then continued to practice in law for another decade. And what I found was that I could do this really intense work. And then I would come back to the farm and be around the animals. And I felt this sense of just well-being, joy, you know, being around them. And so that prompted me to continue. You know, it just was kind of this process. And then I heard about this style of working with the horses called equine facilitated experiential learning, which is instead of like being talked at, you actually work with people and they have experiences with the animals. And during the course of those experiences, instead of telling the person, oh, you need to do this or that, they learn it from the horses. They're such amazing teachers. And my goal is that they are able to take a lot of what we learn and do here with the horses back with them to the courtroom to enhance their skills and, and on one level and also to be able to take that sense of well-being they feel here on the farm with the horses in the common seat that is created here back to a stressful situation they may have there. Let's say 
you came into some real money, three or four billion dollars. Mm-hmm. What, if anything, would you do differently in your life? I would probably be doing the same thing that I'm doing, except I would have a lot more help. <laughs> Today, I spent the majority of my day working on building a new barn for this little cult we saved last week from going to slaughter. <laughs> and so, yeah, so I ended up, I end up doing a lot of physical labor here that I can do, but I would definitely like more <laughs> Let's say you had a magic wand and there was one thing in the world you could change, the legal world, the horse world, the farm world, anything. What, what one thing would that be? Oh, definitely more peace and compassion people to have for themselves and for each other. Kim, if someone wants to get in touch with you, perhaps they would like to come and stay with you at your farm for a period of time, or they just would like to talk to you, what's the best way to get in touch? I have a website, imagineequist.org, and um, that has my my phone number on it. The website is imagineequist.org. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So one of the things that I've also done is kind of having this vision of bringing people to this place. I just felt like this farm was very healing and it was got a little waterfall and creeks. And so part of my whole big vision was creating spaces for people to stay here. So I actually have a couple of time folk cabins that are on the property. And then I got a chalet that was four miles from here. So I also rent those out through Airbnb if people wanted to come and have a few days like at the farm. But my primary purpose was to have those for the retreat so that when people come, they have such like a beautiful, relaxing place to be as part of the experience here. Kim, is there anything that you wanted to talk about that we haven't discussed? You know, I guess this. When I was doing the wall work, I was really passionate about that. And now that I've shifted to doing the work with the animals, with the horses, we we actually have a little steer. It's not so little anymore. We have miniature donkeys. Now that I'm working with the animals, it's almost like um, my passion is now about bringing people here to have the same kind of experiences with them that I've had that have been kind of life changing. And so I just feel really compelled and excited and happy to be in this place where I can offer this to people. Kim Kupfer, thank you so much for joining me today on the Love Thy Lawyer podcast. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. It's been great talking to you too. That's it for today's episode of Love Thy Lawyer. If you enjoyed listening, please share it with a friend and follow the podcast. If you have comments or suggestions, send me an email. Take a look at our website at lovethylawyer.com, where you can find all of our episodes, transcripts, photographs, and information. Thanks to my guests, and to Joel Katz for music, Brian Matheson for technical support, Paul Roberts for social media, and Tracy Harvey. I'm Lewis Goodman. Really, what I wanted to do was play pro. (laughs) I wanted to go to the Olympics. I wanted to do, you know, like all those sort of things.